Father, as we have prayed, we pray again and we give you thanks once again for an opportunity to come together as a community of people who love you and love each other. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us and that we would be humble and teachable to receive your instruction. God, we would not strive to take your word and wrap it around our preferences. But Jesus, we, we desire that you would cause our lives to be consumed with what you say and to be changed by what you say, but to never change what you say based upon what we want or the culture says. We want to honor you first and foremost in everything. And so, Father, I humble myself. Who am I that you give me an opportunity to preach your word, to entrust to me the gospel, to entrust to me the word and the teaching of your word? And so, Father, I pray that you keep my opinion and my agenda to myself, that only your truth would come forth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. A scholar by the name of Warren Wearsby says this. He says, as a Christian, I'm not a physical unit in a religious organization. I'm a living part of a miraculous spiritual unity in Christ, a member of one body, a stone in one temple, a branch in one vine, to name but a few of the New Testament images of the church. All Christians are different, and yet we are all united in Christ. Regardless of race, color, gender, political, or economic status, believers are all one in Christ. And this next part will be up on the screen. Unity without diversity is uniformity. And diversity without unity is anarchy. But unity and diversity combined by the Holy Spirit in the church will produce a dynamic life of sacrifice and service that can change the world. Friends, we can celebrate differences. In fact, when you read the book of Revelation and you see Jesus and his throne, and you see all these people groups of all these different nationalities and different tongues all surrounding the throne and worshiping him, friends, that's diversity but focused in on unity. Guys, if all that we have is that we're different, that's it. That's all that it is. Can we actually truly ever be united and to practice unity if all we look at is how different we are. And I think that's the difference. When we look at a culture that is around us and we're all supposed to just notice how different everyone is and therefore just accept people for how different they are and you're different and I'm different, but all of a sudden you ever notice we get a little bit competitive about who's different is right. And so instead of us actually coming together, it seems like we become a little bit more divisive and more irritated and more angry. And church, if I look at the global church, have we really become any different? Do we actually show the world what it looks like to, hey, we can celebrate differences, but we're all united because of Jesus, that our focus is him. Guys, I guarantee you that in heaven, there will not be Jesus on the throne and some people surrounding him from different places and other people in their little factions and sides doing their own thing because that's what they're really passionate about. Guys, when we stand before the throne and we stand and we look at Jesus, he's the focal point. And there is no unity for the church if we are not united in our focus on Jesus. And when we're united in our focus on Jesus, then I can celebrate the differences. Because I guarantee that when I get to heaven, not everyone will speak English. In fact, maybe we'll just get a whole different language. Not everyone's gonna look like this. Shut up, what the heck was that? That wasn't even a joke. 
you are heartless. Not everyone's going to be white and freckled. Not everyone's going to dress the same or think the same. As I come from a background, we all did exactly the same things. We're all going to be united. And we might have these white robes that are symbolic of our of our sanctification and purification before Jesus, that we're righteous before God because of his work. That's all what he did and who he is. But friends, we gotta get it out of our minds that heaven is just the United States of America and our culture on steroids. Guys, if you've ever read what angelic beings look like in heaven, they do not look like us. Guys, if you have a being with four different heads, that doesn't sound like anything I've ever seen here. If you, have, if you have a being with wings and then eyeballs all over its body, never seen that. Guys, if all that we do is notice how different we are without focusing on now what unifies us. Guys, I love that the church is global. I love that the gospel is not just in one area predominantly, but it goes all over the world. And that people of different cultures can come into this following Jesus and go, okay, now I'm a citizen of heaven. And what does the Bible say of how I'm supposed to live and how I'm supposed to speak and the decisions I'm supposed to make and the perspectives I'm supposed to have? What does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? Because I want to be focused in on Jesus because now when I am, I can actually love brothers and sisters who are around the world because our commonality is not our differences, but the unifying work that Jesus brings. And church, as long as we keep fighting for factions of our own preferences, guys, we will never show the world the difference that Jesus makes, the gospel, how the gospel unifies people. As long as we keep fighting, quote unquote, fighting warfare against other people the exact same way that the world does. Example, before I gave up social media, It's amazing, these drive-by memes that someone has a political preference or some preference of whatever sort, but it always seems to be that. And so they'll throw out this thing, it's like, I'm gonna prove how right I am and how wrong you are. And all of a sudden, people will start jumping in there, and I've, I've seen it, where I have new followers of Jesus that they're writing these things that are just so nasty, back and forth. And I sit and I go, what does this actually do? How does this actually advance the gospel? It's because all of a sudden our preferences and our factions become more important than Jesus and his gospel. Isn't it amazing that even now we have an ability to look upon other nations and they are our enemies. Yet in those nations are people who are not involved in any of the problems But all of a sudden, we hear that they're from somewhere specific, and we go, no, 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 I can't associate with because you are our enemy, and yet Jesus, based upon what it is that he says, based upon his kingdom standards, I want my people to love their enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. If you're wronged, trust God with what he'll do with it. Friends, it's really hard for us to go out and reach the world if we pull back and decide who actually deserves to hear the gospel. When I read that part, unity without diversity is uniformity, and diversity without unity is anarchy. 
But unity and diversity combined by the Holy Spirit in the church will produce a dynamic life of sacrifice and service that can change the world. Friends, we can do this. When people ask me, hey, how's your church? It's always weird. I don't, it's a weird question. How's your church? I'm like, well, yes, I'm the owner. I appreciate that. I know what they're saying, because they would ask you, I'd ask you the same thing if I didn't, if I wasn't part of this community, hey, how's your church doing? So I get it. I just want to make sure we understand it's not just like, I'm the boss. But when they ask, I love getting to say, it's the best thing I've ever been part of. This is the best community I've ever been a part of. And we're not just blowing smoke. Like, I really believe that. Like, I feel that. And when all of a sudden I throw out an email or I throw out a message on Slack or, hey, there's a person, there's this family need, can you help? And all of a sudden, boom, people are rushing. Someone checks in, hey, could you guys pray over us and to pray? And last week we prayed over a, a woman and, and then she, I just got a text from her husband a day or two ago and he said, I just want to give you an update, she's feeling better. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this prayer thing works. But to hear people say, I'm willing to pray. Just, hey, what can I do? And then all of a sudden, as, as we've helped a family, to have people then message me a week and a half, two weeks later, and say, hey, how's that family doing? Do they need anything else? It's like, doesn't that sound like acts? Like they took care of each other. They hung out together. They worshiped together. And I sit and go, God, that's amazing. What you've allowed me to be part of, I am so thankful. And here, here, friends, I say this with all sincerity that when I think of you all, when I was putting this together a couple days ago, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, came to me because I think that we're living it pretty well. Is there, is there room for growth? There's always room for growth. We should never settle. We should never say, I love enough. I'm not loving anymore. Like, I'm at, I'm at an eight. That's good. It's better than those who are at a two. Like, we should always be striving to love like Jesus does. But I would sit there and go, I think this is us. It says this, love is, let, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Who's competitive? Who are the competitive people? Yep. There's your verse. Outdo one another. You're like, oh, game on. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in, in spirit. Serve the Lord. For those of you that find yourself, oh, I'm kind of feeling a little bit bored in my faith right now. I need to ask the question, are you serving? I'm not just saying, are you serving someone here? I'm just, are you serving? Are you looking for opportunities to, opportunities to serve on a regular basis in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your job, at your school? Are you looking for opportunities to serve? But then are you using your spiritual gifts in our community to edify and to build up our church community? I've used this example often, but back in the day when you didn't, when you, when, when you didn't have a, a camera on your phone, but you actually had a camera with film, does anybody not remember those days? I want to just want to, I just want to see who the youngins are. It, oh, oh, sorry, you don't remember the days. It's like you had like, what was it, 24? 24 exposures or 36 exposures, remember? And you were very selective on taking pictures because it cost money. Even if it's a one-year-old birthday party, it's like, nope, nope, perfect picture. I've only got one roll left. I thought I had three. Husband was supposed to buy it, but he didn't because he's a slacker. And so I've only got 36 exposures. I'm not messing this up. And then you take the pictures and you get them back. 
and then like four of them are blurry. And you just sit there and go, why God? Why are you against me? And today if they're blurry, you just hit a button. I was like, oh, perfect picture. I'm like a professional. But did you have to have, have you ever had to sit through somebody showing you their vacation through pictures? And I brought this up often. They'll go through, it's like, can I just show you some pictures of our vacation? And, and you're being all polite, but don't lie. Because by the 232nd picture of that road, you want to die. You're praying for the rapture, you're praying for death, whatever. Just whatever it takes, please end this. This is torturous. They're all excited about it. You're just sitting there going, I just love you because you're a really good friend, but I don't care. Of course, now no one's going to show me your stuff. I still want to see your stuff. That sounds so bad. I just really opened up myself to you, and I hope you can still have some respect for me. But here's the thing. For those people that are showing the pictures, isn't it the greatest thing ever? They're like, oh my gosh, and they're so passionate about it. But those who aren't involved in it, you're not quite as passionate as they are. But when you go and you have the pictures, aren't you passionate about it? Don't you find yourself fervent in spirit? Friends, if you're not involved in the game, the game gets boring after a while. But when all of a sudden you're involved in it, if you're lacking passion, if you're lacking fervency in spirit following Jesus, serve. That's what the passage says. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I love this part. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here's one reason I love that verse. Because haven't you really been nice to that person and they're still kind of a jerk? You've done everything you can. You're like, oh, I'm failing. I'm failing. And of course I know that if I ask that person about, hey, you know that person that's kind of been a jerk? They're like, yes. Isn't it? Everyone thinks that each other's jerks at some point. But as, as much as it depends on you, in other words, you do your part. So you can stand before God one day and say, I did everything I could to be peaceable. I did everything I could. And to hear him say, well done. Just do your part. And then after watch. Beloved, never. Underline that. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, goes back to scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, now this is hard, isn't it? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, when I read that passage and I sit there and go, I know I've still got things to work in this, but if we would continue to move forward as a community to live practically in this way, friends, unity is the byproduct of obedience to what it is that God says. So we go back to, to Warren Wiersbe's statement, unity without diversity is uniformity. And diversity without unity is anarchy. But unity and diversity combined by the Holy Spirit in the church will produce a dynamic life of sacrifice and service that can change the world. Friends, that's why I'm constantly reminding all of us, hey, who's the one this week? God, show me, who's the one? Who's the one that you want me to impact? 
And then I want us to move from every week to every day. God, who today? Who's the one you want me to impact? Guys, because I think that by us going out and looking for the one to impact, that we can actually impact the world. I've said how I believe that there's some things that maybe need to change with how the church for the last many, 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 many decades has worked. It's almost like this. We need to get as many people to this one place to hear that one person so that one person can preach the gospel so the multitudes can come to Jesus and then they can go home. But everyone has to get to that one place to hear that one person. All of a sudden, that one person becomes God's chosen vessel. And I think it needs to change from that to this. What if you take the multitude of followers of Jesus and send them out to find the one? If every follower of Jesus went out and shared Jesus one time, just in the States, if, all, if out of the 300-something million people on the, in just the United States, and maybe, maybe 25% of us are followers of Jesus, if all of us went out and shared Jesus one time this week, guys, almost a million people will hear about Jesus. You can't fit a million people into one place. That's why doesn't it make sense to go out and find the one? And maybe, for some, you'll never do it outside of your zip code. Maybe this is the only place God said, this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life. And you should, and, you should, and I should. We should be saying, God, whatever you want. Because why? I'm focused on the lamb who sits on the throne to do what you've called. I don't care about massive if it's not effective I don't care about big stuff, it's just feeding my ego. But to impact the one for the purposes of the kingdom of God, and to see a person come to Christ, that God would allow me to introduce someone to Jesus and to see that miraculous work happen? What an honor. What an honor that we're called to serve Jesus. And we're invited into a process that only he can actually fulfill it's called the miraculous. That when a person passes from death to life, that is the miraculous intervention of God. And friends, that's what we're supposed to be united on. And I think maybe we need to change the methods. And friends, that's why we as, a follow, as followers of Jesus in this church community will be focused on two great things. The first is the great commandment. And the second is the great commission. That's it. Guys, because if I do those things, think about it. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He's like, man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, it's like it, love your neighbors yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two things. The whole fatty part of the Bible are summed up in two things. Love God with everything you got and love people. And because we love God and love people, we will go make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. We'll fulfill the Great Commission. To stay united on that, friends, I think that's when we'll see effectiveness. So back into Titus, let's read one, one through three and then jump into verse four again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Friends, we don't know much about Titus. We know a few things. Here's a few things. One, 
He went with Paul when Paul paid a visit to Jerusalem to a church who viewed him with great suspicion, and rightfully so. If you have a person who says, hey, I came to know the Lord, but his life before declaring that he came to know Christ was to persecute the church and applaud the killing of Christians, at some point you might be a little suspicious. If all of a sudden he shows up, you might be a little suspicious, but guess who went with him? Titus. Titus goes with him, kind of vouching for him. And we also find out that Titus was the man for a tough assignment. When the trouble in the church in Corinth was at its peak, Paul sent Timothy, or not Timothy, but Titus, to deliver Paul's severest letter of warning to them. Can you imagine? That's what you're called to. Titus, come here, I got a job for you. Okay. Corinth, the church in Corinth, they're freaking out. They're weird. They got weird. They're believing in things that aren't true. I need you to deliver this letter. And what if Titus read it through going, man, this is pretty harsh. He goes, I know. I need you to deliver it to them so they can read it. So wait, I'm the bearer of bad news? Yeah, there's some good stuff in it though too. Why are you trusting me? Because you've always been faithful. You've always been faithful. He seemed to have a gift for practical administration. Guys, it's in 2 Corinthians that Paul chose Titus to organize the collection for the poor members of the church in Jerusalem. I love the fact that it's this, this, this attitude of practical administration. Guys, I want to encourage every single one of you that are followers of Jesus. Like you've surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord. You have the spirit of God in you. You have spiritual gifts. Guys, this, what happens up here, that is a small minority of the time and ministry that Jesus wants to do. And this, me teaching, is no greater. We're all called and you are gifted and anointed. For those that say, I love administrative stuff. I love... My favorite computer program is Microsoft Excel. I love it. I just love sheets. I love putting together all this stuff. And I love budgets and numbers. And I'm just sitting there going, I don't get you. You're a freak. So, oh, no, no. I, I say that all jokingly. Guys, the gift of administration is, is as much empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit as the person who teaches. It is no different. It's the same Holy Spirit that has called you. For those that say, I love to do things behind the scenes. And I know what we mean. It's like, you don't want to be up front. If I said, hey, could you do announcements? It's like, no. I, just to come, no, I'm not going to do it. Because every time you talk or you have to speak in front of a group of people, you sweat to death, which, hello, you sweat to death. You just, I don't, I don't want to do it. You get super nervous. Okay, great. But what if there's no such thing as behind the scenes ministry? Because if there's really only one audience that we're doing everything for, which is God, there's nothing behind the scenes. It's all for him. Guys, I get what we're saying. I don't want to be up front. Great. But all of us are up front when it comes to, hey, we're serving Jesus. So if you have these behind the scenes gifts, practical administration, practical gifts that no one ever gets to see, and you just want to keep serving the Lord, don't think of it as less than. Just think of it as spirit-anointed, spirit-empowered, spirit-directed. In obedience to what God has called you to do in order that you can edify and build up the church and let us all live in those gifts to bless one another. Titus is not the person that would get up in front and preach to everybody. Maybe in Crete, he'd have to learn to teach and you'll see that later on as we go. But that wasn't the norm for him. Paul also calls Titus my true child, which means that probably Paul led Titus to know Christ. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul calls him his brother. 
So yes, he led him to the Lord, but now he's like, hey, we're, we're brothers. This is family. He also calls him a fellow worker and a partner. It's like, hey, we're equals in this, what God has called us to do. And then Paul sends Titus to Crete because he trusts his character and that he will be an example of what it means to follow Jesus. When you look at Titus chapter two, verses seven and eight, watch. Watch what he says to Titus. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. In other words, I trust you that you will live out your relationship with Jesus. People will see what it means to live by faith. By me sending you. Guys, that's just a little bit of what we know about Titus. But in verse four again, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. The New Living Translation words it this way. I'm writing to Titus, my true son, in the faith that we share. And as I said, and as we began our time in the word, I think we live in a culture that seems to push diversity. But diversity without anything that unifies that, diversity actually leads to divisive and competitive attitude or a sense of superiority. And we also live in a culture where we're ready to fight, right? I mean, think about it. That's kind of how we are. Just have this culture, just fight, you fight, you fight for your rights. You fight for your rights to party. <laughs> remember that old song? I don't remember, who said, no, no, don't say yes, but you fight for it, just fight for it, fight, just fight, we're gonna fight. And all of a sudden we start fighting all these things, right? We're fighting all over the place. Guys, there can be something positive if we're fighting together towards something. The Bible says that, hey, we're not in this spiritual battle against flesh and blood, not against people, but against the spiritual forces of this dark world. When Nehemiah was called by God to build the wall around Jerusalem because Jerusalem had been ransacked and God had taken his people out and put them in captivity in Babylon, he's like, I'm going to send you back, but Nehemiah needs you to build the wall around Jerusalem. It said that all of them came, Nehemiah went, and then a whole bunch of people came with him, and it says they, they did this side by side, side by side. This person built, and then next to him built this part, and then next to him built this part, and they had it done in something like 52 days. Unheard of. They would build, and then on their hip, they would have their sword, because in, just in case they got into a fight, and say I'm on this side, and I just get ransacked by people that don't want to see this happen. I can just scream out, and people on the wall who are building their part will come running to my aid. Guys, that's unifying, right? But the negative is we become splintered when we aren't united. I'm going to fight this part, or fight this part, and fight this part. And all of a sudden, we're all fighting our little battles, but none of us are focused on what it is that God has actually called us to do. Well, what about those times when we may be called to not fight in order that we would advance God's kingdom and live as citizens of his? No, no, God fights. Yeah, God fights, his thing. But aren't there times, can you think of a time where God didn't? Guys, in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, it'll be up on the screen. Paul says this, have this mind and the New Living Translation says, have this same attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, or better translated, as something to be exploited. The fact that he was God, he's like, I'm not going to exploit the fact that I'm God. I'm going to empty myself. 
Friends, he could have held on to that right of being God. But he says he emptied himself. In other words, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And we might call that for us, he gave up his rights. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, I love the fact that there is freedom of speech. I do. But does that mean that that then gives us license to say anything and everything that we want to say to anybody or everything, anyone that we want to? Well, I have freedom of speech. I can just come up and walk and tell you that you're an absolute idiot. Like, I have the freedom to do that. Of course I have the freedom. But is that wisdom? Or would God call that foolishness? Oh, Brian, you're trying to censor us. I'm not either. You can say whatever you want, but just realize that we have to answer to, for God. Have to, answer to God for every word that we say. And if what I'm saying is not advancing the kingdom, it's not bringing about the work of God, it's not bringing about glory to him, then is it really something that I should be saying? Guys, you realize that there are actually times where the scripture says, hey, those who are wise, no one to be quiet. The fool just keeps blabbing, just keeps stating, saying anything that they want to. Friends, I think that we can live within that freedom of speech with wisdom that we would edify people and build each other up. Not just say whatever we want in the name of an amendment. Guys, I can never disobey the commandment of God in preference for a man-made amendment. I have to watch what it is that I'm saying, what it is that I'm doing, so that in everything I'm giving praise and glory to God. Because I'm following a Jesus who gave the example that when he stood before Pilate, he stayed silent. Even though he'd done nothing wrong, he stayed silent because there was a greater work that he was accomplishing. And followers of Jesus, we need to be sensitive to what it is that God is calling us to do. When, friends, when you connect Philippians to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 to 9, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Friends, I think that's why Pilate was so blown away and wanted to see what he could do to get Jesus released. Because how many people who are wrongfully accused will stay silent and take the punishment? Friends, he was going to go to the cross quietly. Even though he'd done nothing wrong, he was sinless. Can you imagine Pilate going, this makes no sense. Why would you do this? In Pilate's mind, it made no sense, but to Jesus, it made complete sense, for that is the purpose for which he came. And so he remained silent. He stayed humble. He emptied himself. I'll give up my rights so the other, another person can have something. Friends, we're supposed to be living as those who are king, kingdom-minded, citizens of a king who's a lot different than us. I wrote this in my notes. The cross of Christ is proof that God's call on us is to lay down our lives, 
no matter the cost. The cross of Christ is proof that God's call on us is to lay down our lives no matter the cost. And so we come back to this, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith or in a faith that we share. So again, I come back to what will we focus on? That sign says it and that sign says it. Love God, love people, make disciples who make disciple makers. Friends, that's our mission. It's written down. That's what we're about. Friends, I wish I could say it's like, oh, who came? You come up with that, Brian? Pretty clever. You come up with something new that nobody ever got. I did it. It's what I think every church community is supposed to be doing. That's it. Love God, love people. Make disciples. Let's do that. Guys, it's nothing new. I just think it's right. We just go back to what it is that Jesus said. These are the greatest things and do those things and we will do whatever we can to keep focused on Jesus and his call. And what a beautiful invitation, is it not? Out of the number one, the number one thing that God says, just love me, just love me. He didn't even start with thou shalt not. He just said, just love the Lord your God with everything you've got. What a beautiful invitation from a beautiful God. When you flip from Titus to Ephesians chapter four, listen to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says that I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, when he says a prisoner for the Lord, he's a prisoner for the Lord. Literally, he's in prison for the Lord. Because he followed Jesus, he's in prison. Gave up his rights. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. I'm going wherever you want me to go, God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, what does that look like? Because that's a big statement. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is what is a manner worthy of the calling. With all humility and gentleness. Oh, dang it. Like humility, yes, but gentleness? Like who's ever known for being gentle? Jesus. Guys, again, we can listen to the culture. Men, masculinity means tough. Growing beards. Huh? I just, I didn't shave this morning. This is all one day. That means I'm more manly. Building stuff, fighting everyone, taking it on. And that God says, I want you to be gentle. I want you to be meek. Doesn't mean we never get angry. Of course we can get angry. Men and women, we get angry. We We can get angry about things that God gets angry about. Guys, I get angry when kids are sold into sex trafficking. It should never happen. And it angers the heart of a holy God who will have his vengeance. It angers me when babies are killed in the womb. It angers me. Guys, those things anger the heart of God. And yet there's this redemptive plan for those who have engaged in any of that. If they come to Christ, they can be forgiven and brought in by the grace of God to the church. But gentle? And I guess this is what I have to ask. Are we striving to live lives that Jesus applauds or that others applaud? The kind of life that Jesus notices or others take notice of? I was sharing with my D group this morning 
If you're on the Bible reading plan, you got to read about Enoch. I think it's in Genesis chapter five, I think, is in chapter five. And this is what it says about Enoch. He lived a certain amount of years. He's married, had some kids, walked with God, and God liked him, so he didn't make him die, and he came home. Like, there's only two people that didn't die, Elijah and Enoch. He's like, when he's done, God just took him. He was no longer there. It's like, that's a sweet way to go. But all we know about him, he walked with God. Then you, re- you read the writer of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews says, and he pleased God. So because he walked with God, it pleased God. That's all that we know. And in my journal, I said this, God, I want to live the life of Enoch where I'm satisfied with simply walking with you. I could care less about the notoriety or making an impact or leaving a legacy. What if we just walk with God and trust God with the legacy? Because it pleases him. Called to the, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And here's this word, eager. The word eager means this, to do quickly, to do one's best, to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're supposed to work with everything in us to be united. Or eager. And then he says, here's how you can be united. When we remember and live this out, there is one body. And one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith. That common faith that we share. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I wrote this in my notes. True diversity cannot be celebrated unless it is unified under the lordship of Jesus. An author that I've really come to admire and love her writings, a woman by the name of Rebecca McLaughlin, she says this. It's in a book called The Secular, Secular Creed. She said, Christianity is not only multi-ethnic, it's also multicultural, and we should expect Christians to speak different languages, sing different songs, eat different foods, wear different clothes, and bring different insights to God's universal timeless word. At the same time, we must pursue love and fellowship across racial and cultural difference relentlessly because Jesus calls us to be one body with people of different races and cultures and languages. Worshiping Jesus together is our destiny, but it is also becoming our reality. So as I've said before, we will, I will say it again. We will love God, we will love people, and we'll make disciples who make disciple makers. All of us engaged in the exact same thing. Each of us going out, God, is this the one? Do I get to lead them to Jesus? And then are you going to let me? Not do I have to. Are you going to let me impact them? Are you going to let me disciple them so that they become people who go make disciples also? Are you going to let me do that? Out of anyone on the planet you could pick, you, can you pick me? Can I do it? Do you see the difference rather than, do I have to? Do I have to? God, you understand how busy I am. He's like, oh, I forgot. I forgot about that. I was so busy holding the universe together that I forgot how busy you are. Guys, when we read that passage and we think about what heaven's like and what, what the church should look like, guys, it should result in our being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We should be eager to do it. 
And friends, I don't know about you, but does anybody else struggle with that? Because again, my fleshly nature is to fight. It's to be, it's like, oh, com- like competitive. To be competitive with people rather than to look for ways to unite with them. But what's necessary to keep us moving forward in unity? Guys, read the last part of verse one. Grace and peace from God. Oh, there it is. So here's the thing. You sit there and you realize, like, unity. I'm not doing it really well. I'm horrible. God, I'm trying, but I can't do it by myself. And then God goes, finally. Grace and peace from God. You don't have to muster it up. We abide in Jesus. We spend time with him. We rely on him. We're constantly speaking, asking for help, and trust the Holy Spirit is going to change us so that we have his grace and his peace. The word grace means this, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Guys, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's what he's like, oh, that kind of grace from God. I bless you with that. I want you to have that. And then peace. Guys, that word peace in the Greek, it's connected or it's almost identical to the Hebrew word for peace. It's shalom. Like we think peace is this. Peace means I'm not fighting with anybody. That's what we think peace is. We're not arguing right now, so we have peace. Really? That's all it is? Just not fighting with people? But the word shalom is different. It's a Hebrew word meaning peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. It's the whole package. It's not just I'm not fighting with anybody. It's like, I don't even want to. Like, we're good to have that kind of peace with one another. But not only that, but to have that kind of shalom or peace with God. Because in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by faith, we have peace with God. We have shalom with him. We're no longer objects of his wrath, according to Ephesians chapter 2. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. The grace that I just described in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Guys, I don't know about you, that's what I want. I want to experience that grace. And I'm so thankful that I have that peace with God, but I want to see that peace among Jesus' followers that we say, man, the shalom of God, wow. It's not that we're just not fighting. It's that we actually want to be around each other. We get along. We love one another. We're actually pulling for one another, not secretly looking at those we don't really like all that much and going, oh, something bad happened to them. Ooh, kind of glad, but not so much. We have all this that God wants to actually give to us. Guys, unity comes from us being connected and abiding in Jesus, that he provides his grace and his peace. So as the worship team comes back up, I just want to read, I've already quoted it, but I want to read it. The two greats, because this is what we're focused on. And Jesus said to him in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
That word therefore goes back to what it is that Jesus just said, because he's in charge of everything. He's sovereign over everything. He's a commander of everything. Because of that, because he's sovereign commander of the universe, therefore go. The command is to go, and the word go, it's not just go one time. Keep going. Keep going. Go, 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 go. When do I get to stop? When we stop breathing. Go. Do I have to? No, we get to get to. What a call. What an invitation. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, and this is the best part, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus himself says, I'll be with you the whole time. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Friends, if he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And in Revelation, we have this view, the throne of Jesus, him him seated upon it, and all the nations, all the people groups of all the nations surrounding the throne and worshiping him. Should we not be living out when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? So what does it look like in God's kingdom? Jesus, the center, and everyone focused on him. If we're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven is focused on Jesus, shouldn't we, the church on earth, be focused on Jesus if that's what the kingdom looks like? And when we are, church, we are unstoppable. Because he's the focus. He's the provider. He's the protector. He's the enabler. He's the helper. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Now let's get it done. Oh, what a great God we serve. And what a great God we get to love. And what a great God we are loved and adored by. Father, we give you thanks. That in Jesus, there is unity. And Father, I pray that you would help us to focus in on that, just Jesus. And to strive to be eager for the unity. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God, we would eagerly go after that. Father, I want to thank you for this church. I thank you. I get to do life with a bunch of people that love you and love people. But God, I pray you would protect us and you'd help us to stay focused on Jesus, that we would not become splintered off in any way, but only focused on Jesus to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission to the glory and praise of Jesus. And as you do that, God, to be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of Christ's followers say, amen. Love you all more than you know.